Prepare to be captivated by the business story of the week, hosted by me, Shaheen Shan. Join us on a journey through the twists and turns of entrepreneurial triumphs and setbacks. Immerse yourself in the narrative and witness the magic that turns dreams into reality. This is Business Story of the Week. And we are back. Welcome to Business Story of the Week. I am your co-host, Joshua where we navigate the world of entrepreneurship, business, corporate world, you know, innovations, uncovering stories of perseverance, struggle, and success. And today we have quite the innovator in in our hands, a musician at heart. I am very, very excited for, for our guest today. Greg is the founder and CEO of Global Performance Institute, an award-winning keynote speaker and the author of a brand new book called the tip jar culture, how to re-engage and reignite your workforce. Greg is passionate about transforming the employee experience, or as he likes to say, taking the IRK out of work. <laughs> I love that. And his clients include everything from Fortune 100 companies, corporations, the local chapters of associations. I recently learned that Greg also spent 15 years touring the world as a professional dueling piano performer. We need to get into that later. And I can't wait to hear more about that. So without further ado, let's welcome Greg to Business Story of the Word of the Week. Greg, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me, Josh. I appreciate you uh, making time for this conversation. I'm excited for it. I am pretty excited as well. I want to get into this right away because what you do is is very interesting and it, it, it you know it resonates with me i love music but before we really get into this i always like to start it this way i always like to start from the very beginning the very very where it all began right where did it all begin for greg how did the journey start is was there anything perhaps in your childhood life of course your love for music how did that begin and how did you transition that into the corporate world and how do you do both at the same time well it's an interesting story in that one of my first exposures to being a musician or a professional entertainer was through a family friend his name okay. is ken mcbride and he did what i do uh he performed for audiences he he did it a bit differently but he played the piano and sang mm -hmm. at bars and restaurants all over the country mm -hmm. And so when I was little, my parents would often take us, uh, me and my siblings, to see his dinner show. And okay. he would bring me up on stage because he knew I was interested in the piano. And he'd sort of sit me oh, on wow. his lap. I was probably four or five years old. And he'd, you know, let me see wow. the audience and play a song or two with me sitting on his lap. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Wow. Well, fast forward to 2015. Mm -hmm. And I, I had suffered while performing a pretty severe vocal cord injury. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that left me unable to speak and sing. And here's where mm -hmm. Ken comes back into the story. At the time, I didn't realize how severe the injury was. And so I was just willing mm -hmm. to leave it be for a couple of weeks, maybe not sing as much and see what happened. Well, mm -hmm. we were at one of Ken's shows to, to just visit mm -hmm. and surprise him. Mm -hmm. And he heard me speak and he said, Oh, Gregory, your voice is in trouble. You need to go see this doctor. And so he gave me the name oh, wow. of a doctor who turned out to be one of the best or who who was 
not doing a very good job telling the story. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. So it turned out it turned out that this doctor wasn't just an ear, nose, and throat doctor. He was the guy that professional oh, wow. musicians went to see when their voice was okay. in trouble or when they needed vocal care. Okay. And so he took okay. one look at my vocal cords using some specialized equipment that they have in his office. And he mm -hmm. said, if you don't have surgery on your vocal cords immediately, you will lose the ability to speak and sing permanently. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. So not only did Ken inspire my love of performing for audiences, but he literally helped me save my voice, you know, 30 almost 40 years later. Wow. That's incredible. Um, I, I really want to get into that. What was the specific vocal injury? Was that a name for it? And why is it that you were going to lose your voice? And why, why wouldn't you be able to speak if you didn't figure it out? Yeah. So the backstory to this injury is that my voice had been getting progressively raspier and rougher okay. for several years. And I okay. attributed it to more use and just being older. And I back then smoked cigarettes and enjoyed going out to bars and loud places mm -hmm. with friends. So I didn't mm -hmm. think that much of it. But now looking back, knowing what I know, the mm -hmm. decline in vocal clarity and quality that I experienced mm -hmm. in just a few years, I see that now as of course, that's severe. Of course, someone should be looking at my vocal cords on a regular basis as a professional uh -huh. voice user anyway, and they would have caught that mm -hmm. sooner. Mm -hmm. What happened was much like if you use, let's say you go out into your garden or into a field and you grab a rake right. and you don't wear gloves and you rake all day cleaning up those oh. leaves or cleaning up the field. At the end of the day, you're going to have little bumps on your hand called calluses, right? Okay. Places where all that vibration built up a little callus on your hand. Yeah. Those calluses happen on your vocal cords when you overuse them. They're called nodules. Mm -hmm. So I had okay. developed those calluses. They're very dangerous for singers because your vocal cords vibrate at a very specific speed mm -hmm. and that's how you make pitch. And when one mm -hmm. of those vocal cords has a callus on it, it's just the tiniest bit heavier, but uh -huh. that tiny uh -huh. bit makes a big difference in how uh -huh. fast it's able to vibrate. Uh -huh. So that's what caused the initial hoarseness or raspiness. Wow. But instead of going to a doctor and getting that looked at, I muscled through and I found a way and in doing so damaged my vocal cords even further. Even more. And so then your vocal cords are trying to recover from that. And I muscled through mm -hmm. and found a way. And so I created even more damage mm -hmm. on top of all this damage. There's a very bad acid reflux problem. And the reason oh. that's such a big deal for a singer is because your vocal cords naturally have little cuts and tears in them throughout the day, especially if mm -hmm. you use them a lot. And in a very normal environment of somebody's voice and their digestive tract, your vocal cords just heal overnight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in my case, that cut was being yeah. bathed in uh, stomach uh, acid all night while I had that reflux. So it made all that damage I just described to you mm -hmm. even worse. And by mm -hmm. the time I got to see the doctor, my vocal cords had gotten to such an extreme and severe point that they would have become permanently paralyzed. Wow. Meaning the nerves and the, the, the muscles. And, and I will be honest, I don't understand the science behind the permanent paralysis bit, thankfully, because mm -hmm. I didn't have to 
didn't we didn't get there uh, <laughs> but everything just sort of gives up and your and your body just can't make it work anymore yeah. so that's why I would have lost the ability to speak. Now I would have been able to make oh, some man. sort of noise, but it it okay. um so I can it probably would have sounded something like this. Oh wow, come on. And so for a singer and a professional voice user, that's really not that's that's losing your voice forever. That's that's losing your life really if for someone who was doing what you do and love what you do. Um Greg, it, it to me it almost sounds like uh like a metal singer who overused their voice the wrong way and, you know, just kind of injured themselves over and over again. How are you now? Can you still sing? Is it, you know, how do you think it has affected you? So like looking back, you would you say that your voice quality was better now, but now that you've recovered, would you say that, you know, it's just as good? I mean, if I go and I listen to, uh, recordings of me in like 2005, 2004, mm. like right when I mm. first started performing at piano bars, mm. my voice is so much stronger and more malleable, more flexible. Um, mm. Agile is probably the right word. Now, some mm. of that is age, right? I was 22-ish then and I'm almost 42 today. So some of that is age, but a lot of that is vocal damage. I'm able to sing today, uh, but I'm nowhere near as capable as I was back then. And a lot of that has to do with vocal cord damage. And so outside of the work I do as a professional for my clients, yeah, among the other professionals who do what I do, some of them have been on your show, some of them may be listening now, mm -hmm. anyone who uses their voice for a living really needs yeah. a vocal care professional in their life mm -hmm. at least once a year, just like mm -hmm. you should go see your dentist once a year, at least mm -hmm. your regular mm -hmm. family physician once a year for a checkup. If you mm -hmm. are using your voice to make a living, you should go see someone who specializes in vocal care at least once a year and mm -hmm. let them take a look at your vocal cords to make sure that mm -hmm. you're healthy, that they're functioning mm -hmm. properly. Because a mm -hmm. lot of the surgeries that I had to endure and silence that I had to navigate and changes that happened in my life. A lot of that, maybe all of that could have been avoided if I had been going to a voice professional at least once a year, ever since I, excuse me, ever since I started singing. <clears throat> well, well, that is quite an essential tip, not just for musicians, not just for, you know, you mentioned your experience in the corporate world. You'd have to be talking to clients. So if you lost that, you literally lost two opportunities in your life. And I watched your video. You said that, you know, you were, you were, you felt bad about losing that other job. And now that you mentioned a bit more about your corporate experience, tell us a bit about that. How did you, how did you get there? How did you transition and how, how did you get into the corporate world, basically? Yeah, well, I know this may surprise, you know, people who aren't watching the video who are just listening, but I'm not Beyonce. I'm not Taylor Swift. I don't make <laughs> millions and billions of dollars singing for other people. So I had to have some way to pay my bills. And that mm -hmm. meant having a day job in addition to my mm -hmm. night and weekend work as a piano bar performer. Mm -hmm. So I had a day job working in corporate and most of my 20 year career in corporate involved business development or marketing efforts for companies that served and consulted for other organizations. 
Okay. So I started off in sales for a large publicly traded company, and I finished up um, as a director of sales for a small local here in Philadelphia, human capital consulting firm. And so okay. I got to see a lot of different businesses, how they worked, how their leaders led and ran teams, and right. what some of the challenges were that organizations were facing. And I noticed there was a, a connection point between what I did during the day and what I saw in those clients and what I did at night and what I saw with my piano bar clients. And that was in the piano bar at night, I had to take a group of people, many of whom were strangers, at that piano bar and get them to work as a team. Not only work as a team, but do something that is very scary for most humans to do in public, and that's sing. Right wow. now, during right, the day, right. my clients and even myself as a, as a leader in, in corporate had to do the same thing. Now, maybe we weren't <laughs> singing together at work, but I had to take a group of people, many of whom were strangers, and get them to work together. And what I noticed mm -hmm. was that there were tools we used in the piano bar to facilitate that cohesion, the forming right. of a group really quickly and building teamwork and, and, and ensuring collaboration took place. There were tools that we used in the piano bar that I noticed were consistently missing in organizations that struggled with employee engagement, retaining top talent, getting collaboration and teamwork to be a priority for their people. And so what I began to wonder was, what if, what if we could take those tools that we use at the piano bar and adapt them for use in the corporate world? What might that uh -huh, look uh -huh. like? How could uh -huh. that function? Mm -hmm. And that's where this idea of the tip jar culture came in mm -hmm. because I identified mm -hmm. three tools or techniques, or as I call them in the book, principles, three principles, principles we used at the piano bar mm -hmm. that when implemented in the corporate world mm -hmm. could be used to phenomenal effect. And more importantly, I think when missing from the corporate world, almost always signal disengagement is going to be a problem. That talent right. retention is going to be more difficult than it needs to be. Right, right. And that is a perfect way to introduce this tip jar culture that you've uh, came up with when it comes to engaging, right? Because that's the problem is engagement and you know, making people um, want to work together, Specifically, talk to us a bit more about the tip chart culture. You mentioned the three principles. You have shared some key insights and strategies, but mainly of all, does this culture, does this tip chart culture involve corporate teams singing together? <laughs> do they have to? <laughs> you know, they don't have to. I do think that there is, would be some value if we all did a bit of singing together. In fact, there was an interesting study, um, it's, it's relevant to the field of positive psychology, that mm -hmm. singing together in a group, it does something to our bodies that's akin or that's similar to when cats purr. So I'm oh, not, wow. we're, we're, they're not really sure if it's just the vibration or if it's also that part of being in a group, but folks mm -hmm. who participate in choirs together, yeah. on average, live mm -hmm. five to 10 years longer than wow. folks who didn't. There's, wow. there's a lot missing from this study, but it's just an interesting anecdote. So you ask about singing. No, organizations who want to adopt the tip jar culture don't have to sing. I think maybe they could, but they don't have to. Really what they have to do is listen to the first part of a night at a piano bar. Mm -hmm. 
If you want to understand the okay. tip jar culture, this is where you'll really find it. In, in okay. the first part of a night at a piano bar, when we're trying to get the audience to understand what this experience is really going to take for it to be successful, mm -hmm. many piano players have something that they speak called the spiel. Spiel. <clears throat> yeah, the spiel. It's, so Piano bars. Maybe it's better if I just show you. So if you were to walk into my piano bar on any given night, here's what you would hear right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Hey, folks, welcome into the piano bar. If it's your first time or your first time in a long time, we're super excited to have you here. Now, right. I want to make sure that your evening is a success. My name's Greg over across the piano is Brian was one of my dueling piano partners. So let's say over across the piano, there's Brian. We're going to be your piano players for the evening, but you are going to be our audience for the evening. And as such, there are a couple things you need to know to make sure this experience mm -hmm. is fantastic. First and mm -hmm. foremost, this is an audience participation experience. That's right. We're going to ask right. you to sing, and we want to make sure that you have a good time singing and you sing safely. And that means we need you to lubricate those vocal cords. So we've got a bar uh -huh. over there. Head on over to the bar. Grab something to drink. You're going to need it throughout the night. That is tip number one. Get something that you can use to take a sip. Now, right. tip number two, most important, if you look around the piano bar, you're going to notice that on the tables on the bar, there are little slips of paper that say request slip on them. That's because we are mm -hmm. musicians, not mind readers. So if there's something you'd <laughs> like us to play, we want you to go ahead and write it down on that slip, bring it on up to us here at the piano. If we know it, we'll play it gladly. And if we don't, we'll play it badly. Now, right. here's the final part that you need to understand, and that is that if you bring a slip up to us with a song request on it, and it is not accompanied by something green and presidential, here in the U.S., that mm -hmm. means money, then it is <laughs> not a request. It is simply a suggestion. So please pair those requests with tips. And if you're not going to tip us, make sure you're tipping your bartenders and your servers. They're working very hard for you. In that little spiel that we deliver at the beginning of every night at a piano bar mm -hmm. are the three principles of the tip jar culture. The first one I identified pretty clearly for you, that's take a sip. Take a sip. We're building a community. And much like you visit a bar or a restaurant or a house to have a drink or to share a meal with friends, we're all here at the piano bar for a common purpose. It's not just to have a drink. It's to create an experience that's better by us being together than we could create on our own. And so this idea of taking a, a sip is how is the organization – bringing its people together, united in a common mission. How are they creating something by coming together that's better than they could create if they were doing it on their own? That's a question that every leader, every organization needs to be able to answer. They need to be able to set that chart, that course for their people to follow. A compelling mission, a compelling goal, something that's going to bring them together. So by getting their people to take a sip, they're achieving the first principle of the tip jar culture. Yep. The second you heard, I didn't necessarily call it out, but it's yes. fill out a slip. Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. we're together, when we're here on this mission, after we've taken a sip, we don't just want to follow orders. We want to help create the experience. Yes. So by giving the audience members a request slip to fill out, we're actually letting them guide the progression of songs throughout the evening. Right. They're more bought in right. to participating right. in this experience because some of it was their idea. Mm -hmm. So how do we bring that out in a corporate setting? How do we tap into the ideas and the thoughts, goals, desires of all of the people in our organization so that they're not just here for the mission, 
they're collaborating and contributing to the mission, wow. to the work that yeah. we're doing. How are they filling out a slip each day as part right. of their work, designing right. the experience that they're having? Mm -hmm. And the third and final part is leave a tip. Now, it'd be great if every organization could pay their people more, right? I mean, isn't that what every leader is hearing from their people? I want a bigger title. I want a bigger paycheck. And mm -hmm. to some extent, you might want to evaluate, is your pay competitive? Are there opportunities for promotions within your organization? But when right. I talk about leaving a tip, really what mm -hmm. I'm talking about is incentivizing the impact that each individual makes within the organization, showing right. them what that impact is, reminding them of that impact, and not just a thank you and a slap on the back or a handshake. I'm talking about showing them the difference, the change that takes place in the world when they come to work and contribute all of themselves, what happens? Because especially in the world today, where we're, many of us are working remotely, mm -hmm. it's easy to feel like our job is nothing more than tappity tap tapping on a keyboard, and Absolutely. then magic things go through wires all over the world in this internet, and then a paycheck mm -hmm. shows up on Friday. It's really mm -hmm. easy to lose sight of the change that our work creates in the world. And mm -hmm. so as an organization or as a leader within an organization, mm -hmm. how are you showing that impact? How are you literally spoon feeding that impact to your people so that they can't ignore it, that they can't miss it? And I'll give you an mm -hmm. example there. I spoke to a group of engineers not very long ago. And as, as part of pretty much every program that I do, I try to do a little bit of research and maybe even interview some of the audience members, if I can, in advance, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd like to get to know who's going to be in the audience. Yep. And in having a conversation with uh, one of the members of the audience, someone who's leading an engineering firm, they mentioned that early in your career as an engineer, you get to see a couple of projects out in the field. And that's mm -hmm. mainly because the organization wants you to see a little bit of everything that's happening. So at some point, you'll go out into the field, do a site visit. But as you get into management levels, two or three years in, maybe you get a promotion, much mm -hmm. of the work feels like desk work, that you're working mm -hmm. on designs or you're working on proposals or you're collaborating, <clears throat> excuse me, you're collaborating in meetings with clients, right. Right. but you're not necessarily out in the field. Mm -hmm. And this goes on for decades, perhaps, in the course of a career. And mm -hmm. it's only, again, maybe towards the end of somebody's career when they're in right. an executive role, that they get brought mm -hmm. out to these grand openings of sites where you're actually now seeing, again, the work that was completed. So what right. they shared was that at the beginning and at the very end of a career in engineering, a career that could span 30 years, yes, maybe yes. it's only a fraction of time where you actually see mm -hmm. what you're doing out in the world. And these engineers are working on projects that put... Um, water systems in, in cities that build roads for whole cities as they're developing. They're mm -hmm. literally changing the world and many of them don't get to see it. Wow. That's a failure of leadership. It's a failure. It's an absence of this third principle in that organization. Mm -hmm. So when an organization helps their employees take a sip, when they create that cause, that purpose, when they allow them to fill out a slip, when they invite contribution and collaboration and when they incentivize impact, when they leave a tip, when they help show their employees the power and the outcome 
of what they've been doing for work, fantastic. you've got to tip jar culture. Wow, that's fantastic. What a what a kind of it's like a marriage of these two things that you've you've put together. It's like a dual perspective of how your career has progressed as a corporate professional and an entertainer. And it shaped your understanding of performance and entertainment and impacting the workplace in a more meaningful way so everyone can collaborate. It's really kind of like, it really is bringing that piano box culture into the corporate workplace. I'm very, very, yeah, I mean, you already gave us an example with the engineers, but uh, talk to us real quickly if you could give us like a short example of the whole thing. Like what tip, what was like the tip that, that the corporate leaders gave what was the uh, what was that second one the the request and then finally what did they incentivize to change was there one more particular example that stands out in your mind yeah well, I think I think first of all I, I I love that you pick up on this idea that it's bringing elements of a piano bar into the office because mm-hmm. people generally are excited to go out yeah. for a night at the piano bar and I think you could also generalize and say most right. people are not super excited to go to work in the morning. Now, there's a whole lot that can lead into that. And I, and I recognize that, you know, we don't necessarily get to enjoy vodka or bourbon or whatever your drink of choice is at the workplace. Yeah, that, yeah. that may not be such a bad thing. Yeah. But really the idea is that we can make work more engaging. The experience right. of work is what I think mm-hmm. is, is due for a change because it really hasn't changed that much since the industrial revolution. And so by bringing this idea of the piano bar culture, this tip jar culture into the workplace, we're not just creating an experience that people are more excited to have. We're creating a more fulfilling work experience. And so it's a win on both sides. The employees have more Mm -hmm. fun and the employer gets a better return from their investment on each employee. So you're asking for more examples. Yeah. Yeah, the work that we do, the outcome can be serious, but the process doesn't have to be. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you, you asked for another example. I mean, I'll, I'll share one Please. that's um, about the request slip since you mentioned that. Please. There's an organization here in Pennsylvania uh, where I'm based mm-hmm. that was having mm-hmm. a challenge with employee engagement and talent retention. And they were in a really difficult industry. They were in the healthcare industry, but specifically mm-hmm. the part of the healthcare industry that sends uh, trained and skilled healthcare workers into the homes of their clients. Wow. So it's a challenging working environment. You know, it's not a hospital sort of has a place for everything and everything in its place. But when you walk into a client's home, it could be a literal mess. So these people are going into challenging working conditions, dealing with patients who can't make it out of their house and need the care in their home. So challenging, uh, patients. So they weren't having the best retention. They weren't having the best engagement as an organization and things needed to change. And Mm -hmm. one of the ideas that was brought and implemented by the innovation council at this organization was this idea of, well, they sort of mirrored a shark tank, you know, the TV show shark tank where entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. bring their idea to a group of investors and they go, here's my idea. Here's where I'm at. I'm sort of stuck. I need some help. I need some money. I need some guidance. I need this. I need that. Well, this leadership group thought, what if, what if we mirrored that idea in our business? Because surely our employees have lots of great ideas. They're like these entrepreneurs. 
They have ideas. Maybe they even have a way to start working on that idea. But because this is not their company, they're going to need some help. So what if we created a couple of sharks? If we took some senior leaders from different places in our organization and had our own little council that met every so often and heard from these employees, just like the sharks hear from entrepreneurs. And then we could decide which ideas could be really beneficial for our organization. And we're not going to give them a blank check, but we'll invest instead our time and the company's money into investigating how can we deploy this idea? How can we develop this idea? How can we make this idea a reality? That was their version of a request slip. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's fantastic. What a one. And here's the thing that's really special about that. Mm-hmm. is in that organization, there aren't just trained healthcare workers. There are parents. There are children. There are people that are trying to find a way to make an impact in the world. Mm-hmm. And they were feeling frustrated. They couldn't mm-hmm. get their voice heard. They couldn't mm-hmm. get their ideas from their brain out into the world. Right. And by creating right. this shark tank within their organization, the leaders mm-hmm. gave them each of them a path to do that. And so now you have a parent that gets to go home and say to their children, guess what I got to create at work today? Wow. You have a child who gets to call their parents and say, Hey, this new job I got, they're not just giving me orders to follow. They're giving me real responsibility. Look what we're getting to create because of this idea that I had. Wow. That's so great. People are actually getting to see the change they're making in the world. And that leads right into that third principle, which is incentivize impact. Leave a tip. Mm-hmm. Making mm-hmm. that change real. Fantastic. Of course, it, it makes people feel like they're involved, like they're heard, and like what they're actually doing is influencing change. It's it's what, what a wonderful way to put that. A shark tank, a council of employees filling out their request slip and actually being heard by their team, by their corporations. I love that. Um, Greg, as much as I want to keep you much longer in here, all, all your wisdom has been music to our ears, to my ears. Um, I, I like to, I like to kind of start wrapping this up with this kind of question in that, what is the future? What does the future look like for Greg? What are the impacts that you are trying to make? What is the future aspirations? Can you see your, you know, this, professional trajectory of help helping corporate worlds and this philosophy shaping work and life. How do you see it moving forward and what are the things you aspire for in the future? I don't know what the future looks like. I don't, uh, <laughs> there are a couple of things I do know. I know that we're going to need to keep changing and keep evolving. Yeah. We mm-hmm. are trying to catch up with technology. The speed of innovation in technology has far outpaced the speed of innovation in the way that we work. A lot of the mindsets of leaders and so the policies Mm -hmm. and practices of organizations Mm -hmm. are still stuck in the industrial revolution. This idea Mm -hmm. of command and control that I'm the boss and you're the subordinate and damn it, you're going to listen to me. Mm -hmm. And that's we're seeing that change. All the tools that are evolving around us are about removing friction and increasing collaboration. And so the organizations that are already taking the lead in that 
conversion in, in that change, mm-hmm. or let's call it not a conversion, but an evolution, they're the right. ones who are having less issues with engagement and less issues with retention. But still, still there's work to be done. And so I think that while the mindset of the organization is something I'm focused on, on changing or, or participating in the conversation mm-hmm. right now, it's also this perspective of the individual, the individuals right. within the organization. There is, this may take us down a bit of a rabbit hole, but there, there's an interesting sort of community that I have stumbled upon on mm-hmm. social media. And mm-hmm. it's, it's called anti-work. So it's almost like a community of people that are opposed to work. And I'm trying yeah. to understand this. It's so antithetical mm-hmm. to the way that I think, because I see the opportunity to work as our greatest, humanity's greatest opportunity to make a change in the world. It's mm-hmm. almost as if Earth is this giant ship out to sea, right? In the sea of the mm-hmm. universe. Earth is this giant mm-hmm. ship, and we're all on it. And if we're the crew of this ship, we have a responsibility to make sure the ship gets to its destination safely. And that as many of its passengers can enjoy the journey. And I think that this mindset that there's something exploitative about work, I think it's, I think it just needs a slight shift. I think it needs a perspective shift. And so perhaps Mm -hmm. my work is not just going to be focused on the organizations, but focused on ideas that can help individuals reframe what it means to participate in the experience of work, Mm -hmm. what that can Mm -hmm. not only do for the world, but do for their lives individually. Mm -hmm. That to me is very compelling because what I loved most about working at piano bars wasn't the tips. I mean, yeah, it's great. I I love to get paid for doing a great job. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was the, the sparkle that I got to see in the audience's eyes when I played a song that they weren't expecting, when I played a song they were right. expecting and we all had a great time doing it. Right. Getting right. to see those people leave the building with a smile on their face, maybe in better shape than they were when I met them. Maybe mm-hmm. they were having a rough day. Maybe they didn't feel right. like they had been seen or heard or appreciated, but damn it, I played their mm-hmm. request and there was a connection. Mm-hmm. That to me is the change I want to continue to have in the world. And so I hope that through my work, and I appreciate the work you're doing, you are helping that change by just spreading messages, Joshua. So I hope that's what I'll be able to do in the future. And and I'm really glad you gave me the opportunity to have this conversation with you here today, right now. Fantastic. What a mission. I mean, Greg, what a mission. Of course, it's a compelling to want to shift that mindset individually in every person to enjoy work a bit more. And that is a mission that I bet all of us resonate with. Greg, I want to take this last bit of opportunity to give you the chance to let us know where can we connect with you? Where can we find you? Um, where where can we find your music? Do you still make music? Sure. I hope you do. <laughs> sure. Well, if, if, if you enjoyed this and you want to learn more about the tip jar culture, mm-hmm. I do have a new book that's just come out. It's mm-hmm. available on Amazon. It's called The Tip Jar Culture. And I'd love Mm -hmm. for you to go and grab a copy and then let me know what you think. Leave a review Um, for your listeners right now. I'll tell you right now, the ebook is on sale for 99 cents us. So like go get a copy. It's amazing. Enjoy it. Tell me what you think. Oh, wow. If you want to see some of my music, check me out on YouTube or Instagram. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get connected, connect with me on one of those, or just send me an email. If you go to my website, gregoryoffner.com, 
that goes right to me. So send me a note. Let me know what you thought of the show. Fantastic, Greg. Thank you so much for your time. I will definitely check out. I invite everyone, first of all, check out that book. Go get that ebook. Check out what Greg is doing to change the workplace culture. And of course, I'm going to go check out your music, Greg. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your wisdom. And I'll see you in the next one. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Joshua. Bye bye. All right. So here's the thing we try to get a little bit better every day, but we can't do it without you. So if you like the video, make sure to like and subscribe below. And if you have any comments, just leave them in the space under.